welcome to a very different kind of the poem, the Parsha, and the podcast. Today we'll be focusing on Pesach, so perhaps we should rename it the poem, the Pesach, the podcast. I like it. Let's do it. Let's do it. This now be this. It is decreed. This is now an annual event. The poem, the Pesach, the podcast from this day forth. Yes, but we could not stop ourselves. We have selected five poems that might be worthy of being placed on the Pesach plate, so to speak. And so we're going to go through a couple of them. And, you know, Adrian, I had created a article a few years ago for Jewish Seattle magazine with poems that might belong on the center plate, on the Pesach plate. But these poems were specifically selected by us to address the unrest in our country right now around racism. And those in the Jewish community, ourselves among them, uh, who are taking a look at the experience that the Jewish people had as slaves and seeing that as perhaps an entree point to engage in conversation around how the Jewish community uh, looks at racism, systemic racism, and, and how we can be a part of making this world better. Absolutely. Um, we have five poems selected, uh, all by authors writing, not specifically on the topic of slavery, but um, with the idea in mind of having, of being a descendant of slaves, with being a, you know, person walking on this earth who was brought here for the express purpose of being property, of being free labor, of being chattel. Um, and so these, these five poems, most of which are short, um, sort of speak to this very American experience, this, this American experience of oppression. Um, the first one is called Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We've done a Dunbar poem before. Um, this is the one that starts with the famous line, I know what the caged bird feels, alas. Um, and I wanted to just add before we read the poem um, that as you were speaking, it I realized that on one hand, our Seder experience should absolutely move us to think about the manifestation of slavery in this country. Mm -hmm. And I think these poems will actually also enlighten us about the experience of slavery that our people went through. And so yes, they'll, yes. they can reflect off of each other. Yeah, I, I meant to mention that. Thank you for bringing No, that. that's okay. And I also um, wanted to say each poem was selected to go together with a moment in the Seder. And so... The first one is Abadim Hayinu Le Pharaoh Bimitzrayim. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. So take it away. Sympathy. Oh, this is a long one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will read the final stanza. Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. I know why the caged bird sings, Ah, me, when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore. When he beats his bars and he would be free, it is not a carol of joy or glee but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings, I know why the caged bird sings. And so when I first came across this poem, I did a big aha, and I was like, oh, this is where Maya Angelou 
Yes. Gets her theme, and I believe the poem is at the beginning of the book. Um, yes. Yes. Of um, Angelou. And so talk a little bit about what you just read and um, why you went to that part of the poem. Um, I, so this poem has a, has a very strong sense of music and repetition. Um, and I chose this because, well, there's, I mean, Avadim Hayinu, that's a song we sing. And, and it's like, there's this sort of moment, this, this, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like this, the celebratory moment with Avadim Hayinu, um, that, that feels really sort of strange and complicated because, you know, everybody's singing and we're still largely in a good mood at that point. It's early in the evening, right? And then Dunbar brings this, it is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core. And as you're saying that, I can't help but hear the song in my head. Exactly. You know, you know, like, oh my gosh, is that how we sing that song? It, yeah, it's like this up-tempo, like, very... It's, it's very strange now that we're thinking about it. And, uh, you know, thinking about the singing of slaves, you know, our heads go to different places. Yeah. When, when I was an undergrad, um, I have a minor in music, and I took a lot of music, musicology and history of music courses, um, even though my instrument was... My instrumental specialty was... Um, not heavily featured in musicology, but one I took a course called the History of Jazz, taught by Nathan Davis, who was the brothers of the brother of Miles Davis. Um, and one of the first we part of the assignment was that we would have to go to the listening lab each week and listen before the lecture um, and before the the recitation. And the first thing we had to listen to was the oldest existing recording of slave songs. Oh gosh! And they were beautiful, up-tempo, and like you can hear like the picks and, and axes in the background, right, as they're working a chain gang. You can hear the chains, you can hear the people talking in the background, like the supervisors talking in the background. And there are these beautiful songs and there was just, you know, I mean, what I was like a youth, what did I know? Um, but I remember sitting in this dark listening lab, listening to this tune and just thinking to myself, this, is the most beautiful and horrible thing I have ever heard. Oh gosh. And I'm thinking about, of course, Go Down Moses. Yes. Go Down to Egypt Land. Yeah. And that's a song that these two experiences have in common. And I'm thinking about the song of, uh, that we sing before the Birkat Amazon, before the Grace After Meals during the week. Yes. Al Naharoch Bavel, By the Waters of Babylon. Yeah. And by the way, Babylon's going to surface in another one of yes, our poems. Yes, yes. But By the Waters of Babylon, uh, you know, they were asked to sing. Shiru Lanu Mishir Tzion. They were asked by their captors to sing a song. And then they reply, How can we sing a, a, a song in, the, in, the, uh, in a strange land? And that's the tension. How yeah. do you sing in a foreign place? And, and what is that music? And of course, I know our listeners and you and I are thinking about music of remembrance, music yes. in Auschwitz, music in the camps. And so this whole idea of Singing and slavery is very powerful. It's it is it's powerful. It it is complicated, and it you know as a, a 
person who was always thinking about music, it really sort of changes the narrative about music that I grew up believing in, which is it was this like sort of free expression, right? Like you had the singer-songwriter who was sort of breaking free of all of these constraints, and but literally this is the opposite. And that that was this this to me that's what this particular poem at this particular moment is about is let's think about what we are singing and let's reflect on it and let's think about it in a in a in a way that maybe doesn't feel so safe it it is absolutely giving a whole new approach to when we're going to sing Avadim Hayinu yes. this year uh, let's take a look at the next selection, which builds off the moment in the Haggadah of Ve'evor alayach ve'er'ech mi'voseset v'damayach ve'amar lach v'damayach ha'i. And this is a verse that we actually say at the circumcision ceremony. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of you are in blood, but ve'amar lach live in your blood. Mm -hmm. And this compulsion, the human compulsion to live, that above everything else, can we get through this? Can we get through this slavery? Can we live? Where? Let's talk about the will to live. And so, let's see. Her, let's take a look at this next poem. This is Lucille Clifton. Um, the poem is called "Won't You Celebrate with Me." Clifton is one of the my most my earliest experiences of reading poetry as a poet, like knowing I was writing poetry oh. and re and so Clifton has this incredibly. Um, it, like Clifton's work dwells in my heart in a very special place and in a very special way. So this this poem is, you know, I would never choose a favorite, but I have to say of this one, it's got it feels special to me. Okay, we're, we will allow well, it. And, and note <laughs> and note to our listeners, there are three parts of the poem, very short, that are highlighted in yellow. And if you look up this poem, you'll notice that, yes. and maybe we'll talk about it. Yes, but let's hear. Won't you celebrate with me? by Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight, my other hand, come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Wow. It, it almost, it takes your breath away. And, and to me, the breath being taken away is the word like celebrate together with someone has tried to kill me. Yes. Which, you know. We're not a stranger to that. I was about to say, remember the, remember the pattern. They tried to kill us. Let's, we were saved. Let's eat. Yes. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, she mentions Babylon. And yes. I think what we we have to really think about how, and, and you mentioned this, Adrian, how um, people from Africa were t brought here to a diaspora. Yes. To a country they're not familiar with. And, you know, she writes, born in Babylon. And I'm wondering, what does she mean by that? You know, this is, this is where I say, I don't know. Um, I feel like when we think about Babylon, we think of it as... Um, uh, a, a place of many, many um, origins. 
I think the Babel, like the experience of Babylon as a place, is a pl is of a place where people have come from all over to be there. I think, and you know, we've got the Jewish experience of Babylon. We've got a non-Jewish experience of Babylon. We've got Babylon as sort of a place of the imagination, right? Um, and so when I think about Babylon, I think of born in a place where I may not be like anyone else. And it's interesting because, so the words in yellow, Babylon is shaded in yellow. Yes. And then between starshine and, and clay. Here on this bridge is regular. Mm -hmm. Then in yellow, between starshine and clay. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm picturing we're on a bridge. Yes. And we're between starshine above. Yes. The, is the heaven. Below is the clay. Mm -hmm. And Babylon perhaps is that liminal place as well. Yeah. Betwixt and between. Yeah. I'm not where I belong. I'm as this suspended. So here I am. I've been taken to America as a slave. I'm not down in the clay where I should be. No. And it is certainly not heaven. I'm now on this bridge. Yes, yes. This whole entire world yes. is a very narrow bridge. It's a very narrow bridge. And 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 we're gonna pick up more on um, the. Oh, actually, this is where we're gonna pick up on it. Both non-white and, and woman. woman. Yeah. And one of the questions we were thinking about is there was something so awful of slavery, and if you are a woman, there is it was worse. A comp. It is so compounded. You're you are. You are taken by your master. You are violated. Uh, your children are taken away from you. And, and of course, men have this, uh, you know, similar experiences. But it's but not the same. The intensity of, yeah. you know, it's the vulnerable of the vulnerable, vulnerability of the vulnerable. Yes. You know, the slave is the most vulnerable, no, a female slave, so vulnerable. Yes. Yes. Um... That, yeah, I think that, that she does, the Clifton, or the, not Clifton, the speaker sort of is, is inhabiting a space of, like, incredible danger. And yet, what did I see to be except myself, right? Like, there's no mirror out there in the world. Like, there's no, like, she, she even says, uh, I had no model. Here I am in this incredibly vulnerable place, in this in this sort of suspension, um, and yet what I have shaped into a kind of life. Like they, yet she still builds something from what feels like literally nothing. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Which brings us actually to the next set of poems, yes. the next poem, and you know, Building off of the Ooh. passage in the Haggadah, to behold Dorvador Om Dimalenu. In every generation, they rise up against us. And we've got a Socrates poem here um, that is hard. It's hard to yes. listen to, it's hard to read. And I'm going to invite you to introduce it. Um, this is called American History by Michael S. Harper. Those four black girls blown up in that Alabama church remind me of 500 Middle Passage blacks in a net underwater in Charleston Harbor so redcoats wouldn't find them. Can't find what you can't see, can you? This poem brings up so many images. I think I actually said to you, Ribby, this poem wrecks me every time. Yeah, it's really 
so hard. I've seen the images of those girls. I've seen oh. pictures, the photos of just for church before going to church. And it just gives me chills right this moment. Yes. Um, because, again, going back to the notion of vulnerable, what is more vulnerable than a woman? What's more vulnerable than young children? And going to church and... Right, like the safest of safe places. Yes. There you are. And like we go to we go to worship with our families, right? Like it's this this the sort of family journey of like you get dressed and you go to the place and you join your community and it's like this experience of togetherness and safety and warmth. And all is well in the world and then you know the church, the synagogue, is the sanctuary where yes. we feel safe. We feel, and and that goes also to the horrors of what happened in Pittsburgh. Yes, you know, you where are you more safe than in your sanctuary? And to have yeah. violence in a place of spiritual worship seems to be so horrific. Yeah, I I just. I mean, just the four, I mean, in the line, the first line, those four black girls blown up, soft stop, in that Alabama church. And then we've got this turn. Remind me of 500 Middle Passage blacks in a net underwater in Charleston Harbor so redcoats wouldn't find them. Oh, and I am, it's that, just. That hurts. It that, so hurts, and I'm trying to figure out is this a historical, is this something that happened and so the Redcoats can't find them because? Well, I think right, the Redcoats were, if we're talking about pre-Revolutionary War, they would have been taxed. Ah, They would I have see. been pretty heavily taxed from I what see. I understand. And, and Charleston has this really complicated place in American history as like an entry point for for many slaves, and then I also think there were Revolutionary War battles in Charleston. Oh. I could be wrong. No, I, I, could be I am wrong. sure. I am sure. So, and, um, so, so you're taking human beings and you're putting them in a net and you're putting them in the harbor so you won't have to pay taxes on them. Oh, it's, that's, that's gutting. That it's, is gutting it's, to me. It's gutting, and I'm thinking also about this idea of behold of a door and the idea of, you know. Is this just going to be endless? Um, yeah, is, yeah. Is white supremacy, anti-Semitism, anti-black, is this just going to be forever? Is it going to happen in every generation? How long is it going to take for this hatred to be eradicated? I don't, I don't know. I, I do not have an answer for that. Um, I, my hope is that, that, you know, and as somebody who is, currently raising young children like my hope is that I'm doing something right to at least do my part so that the next generation doesn't have these experiences um but it's it's also it's everywhere we look around us you know like just turn on the evening news just speak to a friend who doesn't look like you and and it's there it's there staring you in the face and I don't I don't know that it's, it's hard to ever feel like I'm doing enough. Well, I think that's something that we all feel. Yes. And Pos yes. My, my eye is drawn to can't find what you can't, can't see, can oh. you? Yeah. And so I'm thinking a lot about 
how we actually do a lot of searching in this holiday. Yes. We search for chametz. Mm -hmm. We search for the afikomen. Mm -hmm. And one of the ideas of the afikomen is that it represents the redemption that has yet to arrive. And yes. so we break that matzah, the poor person's bread. It's poor bread. And you put away a half of it and you say, we're going to go look for this later. And the afikomen then comes after the meal where the focus of the Seder has shifted. The first part of before the meal, the focus is the slavery and the experience in Egypt. After the meal, we begin to focus on the future. Mm -hmm. Is there going to be better times? Elijah the prophet comes through our door. Yes, yes, yes. We welcome him and we sing Lashana Hababi Yerushalayim that, you know, next year in Jerusalem, things are going to be better. But that Afi Komen is elusive. Yeah. That redemption, it is hidden away. And perhaps just reflecting this feeling that you and I are having right now is, can, are things ever going to get better? I don't, it, from where I stand right here, it does not look like it. But that doesn't mean we're absolved of doing the work. And some of that work is remembering. Yes. Now, we say in the Haggadah, in the Haggadah, that we are, um, it is incumbent upon us every single day to remember the exodus from Egypt, which is why we say the Shema, mm -hmm. Hero Israel, Lord your God, and, and the, the, the par one of the paragraphs, of course, talks about we uh, remember what that we were in Egypt, we were slaves, and God took us out. And so we have an everyday obligation to remember the exodus. However, on Seder night, we have to do something way more than remember. We have yeah. to actually tell the story. And at that point in the Haggadah, they're talking about, wait, what's the difference between the two? What's the difference between the everyday remembering yeah. and the big telling of the story? And of course, the difference is the amount of time it takes. Okay. <laughs> so let's take a look at this interesting yes. poem. Uh, this is Frederick Douglass by Robert Hayden. Um, and this is a longer poem. I'm not going to read all of it. Um, but I encourage you to go find it and read it yourself. It's, it's amazing. Frederick Douglass. When it is finally ours, this freedom, this liberty, this beautiful and terrible thing, needful to man as air, usable as earth, where it belongs at last to all, this man, this Douglass, this former slave, this Negro, beaten to his knees, exiled, visioning a world where none is lonely, none hunted, alien, shall be remembered. Oh, not with statues rhetoric, not with legends and poems and wreaths of bronze alone, but with the lives grown out of his life, the lives fleshing his dream of the beautiful, needful thing. I love this poem. And me too. I love this poem, and I've read Frederick Douglass's journal, yes. diary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very powerful. Yes. His struggle for freedom, and um, right here... Uh, Robert Hayden is giving us a command and it, it sounds biblical. Yes. This man shall be remembered. Yes. You know, Zachor Latov. We have an expression, Eliyahu Zachor Latov, yeah, Elijah yeah, yeah. remembered for good. We say after someone has passed away, Zichorno Livracha. And so Robert Hayden is saying, this man shall be remembered. He shall be remembered and not with all of this sort of rhetoric about legends and poems and statues and but with the lives grown out of his life, with the, with the simple fact that people came after him because of him. 
And he inspired people. Yes. And um, I'm thinking to myself, so after reading the, you know, Frederick Douglass's book, you know, what is the memory of Frederick Douglass? How does it inspire us specifically? And what I would say is, that feels like a quiz. Well, I know. That's why I'm going to answer it myself. Um, <laughs> he, he took himself out of slavery. Yes. Um, you know, it's a very interesting story. I believe it was in Baltimore, and he was, a pre he was you know, kind of outsourced. Yes. Which is another way that, sla another way that slavery looked. And, yeah. you know, you had a slave, and you kind of rented him out to, you know, the craftsman here, the, the shoemaker, the this, the this, the that, and... And through that, he was able to, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was able to learn how to read English, read yeah. and write, and, and that was very much, but I think you really put it really perfectly, and it makes us really think about ourselves. How do we remember people? And all of this stuff of legends and poems and reads, eh. Fine. Yeah, like, you want to do a poem, do a poem. Great. But really. What matters. Is lives grown out of his life. Yes. And I think that we could actually, like, that would be a great sign to put someplace. You know? Yes. The lives grown out of it's like, how do people live a life that inspires others to greatness? Yes. And Frederick Douglass is one of those. You, yes. You read that poem and you think, oh my goodness, how did he do that? How did he do it? And, and how, how do we not spend enough time with him? That's, you know, he was this this wonder of a human, and I mean, I think I was like in eleventh grade before I really knew who he was or what he had accomplished or and what that meant for, you know, our cities, our institutions, our neighbors, it, and it's how do we drag ourselves up out of the the this, our circumstances? Yes, yeah, and yeah, it's just very powerful. I think we've got one last poem. We've got one last poem. And the theme emanates out from when we finally begin to tell our story. You know, it's really fun in the Haggadah where sure. we, we do everything before we tell the story. We say, when do you have to tell the story? Who tells the story? Oh, look, these people stay up really late telling the story. Don't do it this, you know, here are the four children that we tell the story to. When should we start telling the story? Then finally, after talking about doing it, we finally get to it. And we begin the story, Mitchila Ovde Avoda Zara Hayu Avotenu. A little humility, people. We came from idolaters. And Abraham's father was an idolater, yes. and Abraham famously in the Midrash breaks down yeah. the idols. He's an iconoclast. And this poem, you know, I think we're gonna let everyone listen to it before telling them how <laughs> disturbing it is. Let's this go. Is, yes. <laughs> This is On Being Brought from Africa to America by Phyllis Wheatley. Also, Wheatley herself was a really interesting, you know, she was a, a black woman, she was a scholar, she was a poet, she was recognized in her day for her work. She was a slave. She was a slave. She was a slave and she never got out of slavery. No, 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 no. It, this person, Phyllis Wheatley, is amazing. And I'm not sure if we were really abundantly clear, but all of the poets here are African American. Yes. And... We are listening to their voices here today. And Phyllis Wheatley is just simply astounding. Yes. She is someone who was a slave, remained a slave, and was kind of trotted out by yes. her masters yeah. to, you know, you know, as an example, oh, here's this poet. Here's this, yes, here's my slave who's a poet. Here's, here's my slave who is not just literate, 
and and capable, but she's a poet. Yeah. So like it's like it's so sort of sideshow. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to hear. So let's let's and, hear it then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being brought from Africa to America. Twas mercy brought me from my pagan land, taught my benighted soul to understand that there's a God, that there's a Savior too. Once I redemption neither sought nor knew. Some view our sable race with scornful eye. Their color is a diabolic dye. Remember, Christians, Negroes, black as cane, may be refined and join the angelic train. Oh, every oh time! Oh. It just like, it's, it's, it's like curdles me. It does. It's, it's really very difficult but to But also, read. like, how vulnerable was Wheatley when she wrote this? Like, was, was this actually... Was this a commissioned poem? Did somebody ask her to write this? Like, look at, or or did they co coerce her into it? Like, look at how great you've got it. Clearly, you should tell your your fellow slaves about how if they are just believe in God, it'll be okay. It's um, so it's so patronizing. And, and the, yes, there's this like like just the the power of the oppressors is so all encompassing. It's so overwhelming it, 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 it absolutely is and you know this this line twas mercy brought me from my pagan Yikes. land oh my yeah. oh my and and so i guess we we really need to deeply think and perhaps investigate more were these authentic feelings was she writing this because she was kind of being forced to write it yeah. or had she fooled herself or had you know again yeah. no judgment no, no judgment. absolutely not absolutely not um, this is you know a woman of color writing from slavery and surviving and, yes and surviving and and of course being told and because this is the trope you were yeah. taken out of the pagan land yes we've made things better for you yeah we've brought you to this great land and now you can be a christian yeah yeah it's it's i i read this aloud to my husband and i said this is the scariest poem i've ever read <laughs> and he's and, always so taken aback when i say like these powerful statements he's just kind of like yes whatever you say um so it, no, it's really it, it's really frightening. It's really hard, and again, I say with no judgment, none, um, absolutely zero. Because she was treated way better than most slaves, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But how do we play with people's minds? Oh how, yeah. How do we tell people, you know, I've done you a favor, taking you out of your homeland, kidnapping you, putting you on a boat. You are a slave. And, and you know what, you're the better off for it. You know, you're the better off for it, even though you are a sable race, um, yes. meaning a person of color. Because look, now at least you're not in that pagan land. And look, how wonderful you can be a Christian. And and because of that, look, remember Christians, Negroes, Black as Cain, may be refined and join the angelic train. It is so fraught with it's, judgment. It is. It's so hard. It's so so I, I picture myself in the audience as Wheatley is, is reading these or writing these words, and it just feels really terrible. Right. We're doing these people such a big favor. Yes. We're doing them such a big favor. And, you know, I think we need to absolutely say out loud, you know, what do we do with this text? What do we do yeah. with this poem? Um, a 
on one hand, do we read it as it is put before us? Yes. Oh, or? Or is it is it patronizing to say, oh, poor Phyllis Wheatley. Um, yeah, I don't know. She didn't really mean this. And or we, we, the, you know, we don't know. We don't have anything. We There's so little to be known about her that from her own voice other than the work. But is the work authentic because she was actually a slave? <coughs> There's, there's not a way of knowing, um, but I think we can, I think we can, you know, as, as my friends and I like to say, it's the both and, right? I think we can look at this poem and feel not so great, and I think we can also look at this poem and look at Wheatley and say, okay, she lived in a space we will never understand. Perhaps it's like what we're reading here in any way that we're reading it is not a sort of intentional, like, inten intentional origin. And, and I think what's important is that we also recognize that this was absolutely a trope. Yes. That, you know, we have done black people a favor by taking them from Africa, yeah. by bringing them here, by quote, air quotes, civilizing them. Yes. And they really have us to thank for that. Yes. And um, so it's a disturbing idea, and it's one that has to be surfaced. And yeah. this poem does that for us. And I think that, you know, we are inviting everyone to put these poems on their Seder plate, yeah. on their Pesach plate, because then we get the alliteration of the PPP. Yes. And uh, we are absolutely going to um, invite people to discuss these poems and absolutely let us know you know, would it, does it work somehow to put this into their Pesach evening Seder conversation and how it might, you know, open up some of the conversations? Yeah, I think, I mean, poetry always features heavily in our table discussions, Shabbat, Pesach, other Yom and Tovim, you know, it happens. Well, um, of course, especially since the podcast. Yes, know. for sure. Yeah. Um, and so I, I encourage all of our listeners to sort of find a place for poetry at their table, whatever table that happens to be. I absolutely agree and invite everyone to open their door and say, let all who are hungry and come eat yes. and, you know, consume some poetry as well. Absolutely. All right, Have everyone. Have some mass to Have all a joyous, joyous Pesach. And, um, and thank you for listening. Yeah, and Shabbat Shalom also. Shabbat Shalom also.